0: So if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, during the summer, we take Sunday schools off for the youth and kids, and they're upstairs. So I'm trying. I was doing four points for every message. I'm only doing three. I'm trying to condense. I could do one point and go an hour, so you know that that might mean nothing. But in order to do this in a chronological journey through the Bible, where we're at I have a slight little conflict, and I had to take um, a couple of things out of order because we've been in the synoptic Gospels, and that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very similar uh, in the presentation of the Gospel and the things that the authors wrote about to tell about the life of Christ, and John kind of stands alone separately And we've been looking at the Synoptic Gospels for a few weeks, but John wants to get in there as far as the chronological order is concerned. Uh, John chapter 5 should be our third point today, but it is also 47 verses long, so I'm going to not go there, and we'll skip John 5 where we should be going for our third point, and we actually uh, drop down. And the only reason... I have an understanding of that. I'll explain it to you when we get to our third point today. It's because of a word in the Greek that Luke uses in his gospel that gives us an understanding of John's gospel and a feast day that he mentions but does not name. And so Luke helps us to understand the feast day that John mentions in John chapter 5 but does not name, and it helps us to have order in the gospel so technically we should today I titled this message questions about Jesus and his disciples and we should look at for the beginning of our message Jesus calling Matthew or Levi uh, one and the same person two different names he was known by as one of his disciples John the Baptist his disciples asking Jesus about his disciples. So the disciples of John the Baptist had a question for Jesus about why his disciples were not fasting. And that is proper order. Then we should go to John chapter 5. Again, it's 47 verses long. I'm actually going to pick it up over two weeks because it's such a long passage. And then we should make it to Jesus introducing himself As the Lord of the Sabbath in Luke chapter 6 that's the text we're going to use we're going to look at that as our third point technically it should follow John chapter 5 so a little bit of out of order but I'm doing that just to help us in the presentation of the gospel today and kind of think keep things flowing well for us and really the way that uh, Matthew Mark and Luke presented the gospel to us at this point so at this point The religious rulers, the scribes and the Pharisees, we've heard a bit about them, and they have been contending with Jesus, especially when he uh, forgave the sins of a man who was a paralytic, and they questioned and said, what man has the right to forgive God? Only God can do this, and Jesus said, yep, you're right, and then he said, what is easier to say? You're Sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk. So he not only forgave the man's sin, but he made the man whole that day. That message I love that we looked at um, in Jesus. uh, Mark chapter 2 is what my Bible's open up to right now because that's going to begin our first point. We're going to begin in verse 13, but two weeks ago we looked at uh, verses 1 through 12 and Jesus forgiving the paralytic, but it was because of the faith of his friends. And that is just key to me. He had four friends that brought their friend to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when he saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. So the faith that we have in bringing others to Jesus should really encourage us that as we invite people to Jesus uh, to come to church, maybe or to share the gospel with them. Sometimes they may not have any faith. They may have little faith, but the Lord may be working off the very faith that we have in asking and sharing. And sometimes we're kind of nervous about sharing with others about Christ and stuff. But we should be asking the Lord to grow our faith. Grow our faith, Lord, to share your love with others in these days that we find ourselves in. So they have been contending now with Jesus, and it's only going to get worse. Jesus, in our first point, will call Matthew to be one of his disciples and then they will contend with Jesus because from the religious rulers perspective, he's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. They kind of equated the two sinners and tax collector equal standing. Um, Sorry if you work for the IRS today, but biblically, that was the Jewish mindset. uh, And I'll explain why as we go into that point. And even John's disciples, John the Baptist, that is, asking Jesus, they notice a difference about Jesus. And so there's questions for Jesus, questions for uh, Jesus about his disciples. And then questions about his disciples and why they were breaking the Sabbath law. And the Lord introducing that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So today, this is, I've been convinced After weeks of weeks of weeks, number 18, this is lesson number 18. I was saying chapters before. Dave Duke kept saying, that's so confusing. Um, And so in my mind, as I started doing this together, I'm thinking, a book is in the future. I don't know if that's true. That's where the chapters came from. But it could be lessons as well. By the way, ladies, uh, prayer breakfast next Saturday, just throw it out there, talking about books. Uh, Breakfast next Saturday for the ladies. Lesson 18, I titled this Questions About Jesus and His Disciples and Jesus Calling Matthew, Mark 2, verses 13 through 17. John's Disciples Asked About Fasting, Matthew 9, verses 14 through 17. And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, Luke 6, verses 1 through 5. That'll be the text that we're looking at today. I'll go ahead and read our first point. It's found in all the synoptic gospels, found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're going to, for our first point, Jesus calls Levi. Look at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'll read it for the context. The word of God tells us, then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining at Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it. And he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we begin in verse 13, Mark chapter 2. Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching there the multitudes or The word would tell us he keeps teaching them with the crowds coming to hear Jesus. And they're coming from more than at this point. We've learned that they were coming from more than 150 miles away to hear Jesus teach or to be touched by him. And uh, since the last house that he was teaching in, they had the roof torn off. And man, they really blew the roof off that place. Yeah, literally in a different way. He decided he would save the homes. And he went out to the Sea of Galilee and began to teach the people there. Maybe that he and his disciples could better manage the multitudes. And the people came to hear Jesus. As we learn in John 7:46, those who were sent at one time to arrest him said, no man ever spoke like this man before. And so there was something unique about the words of Jesus. And the people came to hear him and to be taught by him. But as Jesus passed by the tax office, a booth that was set up by Levi or Matthew, as we know him, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, there in Capernaum, and it was probably part of the trade routes either over to Damascus, uh, to the Mediterranean Sea, or maybe they were coming from Europe over toward the Damascus. But they were collecting tolls, collecting taxes of the people. And Matthew, a Jewish man, was hated by his Jewish brethren because he was collecting taxes for the Roman government. And so they were viewed as traitors. And that's why we've already read it. But the scribes and the Pharisees asking Jesus's disciples, why does he sit with tax collectors, the traitors? Why is he sitting with them? And another thing made them very hated because from Rome's perspective, as long as we get the allotted amount required for a region, anything above the tax collector could keep. So many of them were very wealthy. And in fact, we learn from John the Baptist when he was preaching in Luke 3, 12 through 13, a tax collector said, what should we do, our tax collectors plural, Came to also be baptized by John, Luke three, verse twelve. And they said to John, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. So we know scripturally that they were ripping the people off. And when we get ripped off, when you drive by a gas station, and you have that pits feeling in your stomach of saying, This isn't right. Or you get your tax bill in the mail and you see that it continues to rise. Uh, Yeah, it gives you reason to be a little concerned, a little upset. So they were despised, the tax collectors. Matthew was despised by many. But notice that it did not prevent Jesus from reaching out to him and calling him To be one of his disciples. And in this world today we have people that though they may be despised by many. They may, you may look at them and think Christ could never reach them. I have to tell you that the Calvary Chapel movement began in the late 60s and 70s. Because those who the world thought Christ could not reach. The Lord reached out to a generation of hippies and changed their hearts. We're going to look at that as I give an account of that. As we go through our text today, but Jesus Christ doesn't look at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart of the individual, the desire of the individual. Matthew Henry, a great theologian from times past, said of the Lord working in the heart of Matthew. He said, with God through Christ, there is mercy to pardon the greatest sins and grace to sanctify the greatest sinners. Often in the church, uh, we will sing a hymn called Amazing Grace. What many people don't know of the author, John Newton, who was born in 1725 and Rapping, England, uh, he became a slave trader and he was working uh, ships, going down to Africa and uh, bringing slaves back to England at the time, not to the Americas, but to England, but he was with the Royal Navy. He launched his career as a slave trader after he was out of the Royal Navy. And in 1748, and so he was born in 1725, but in 1748, there was a violent storm on the sea and his watch was over, he was guiding the ship. The man who came to take his place was immediately swept overboard and John Newton stayed at his watch. He guided that ship through the storm. Uh, through the night, but in the course of the storm, he realized his helplessness and he cried out to God, concluding that only by the grace of God could he be saved. And for a while, he continued as a slave trader. And I know it doesn't work. And he had to grow. He had to learn. As a, uh, a Christian tradeslater now, he encourages sa- uh, sailors to pray and treat their human cargo with gentleness. It doesn't make sense, but that's where he was at that time. And then he had a stroke. He couldn't go out to sea anymore. He began to work the shipyards. And being really an uneducated man, he began to study Scripture, never going to any kind of seminary or college. But he so learned the Word of God that he was eventually ordained as a pastor at the parish in Oilne, and then on January 1st, 1773, so a lot of time since his birth, 1725, now 1773, he preached a message from First Chronicles 17, verses 16 and 17, about David's prayer, extolling the great grace of God regarding God choosing his line from which the Messiah would come. And John Newton related God's great grace in his own salvation on that night on the sea, The title of the sermon was Faith's Review and Expectation, and from that sermon came the song that we love, Amazing Grace. What John needed was a new heart, and the Word of God teaches us in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, in the 2006 movie, Amazing Grace, that's really... Talking about the quest of William Wilberforce to end the British slave trade, he uh, was discipled by John Newton. And there's a portion in the film. There's two things about that film that really stand out to me. At one point, Wilberforce—I gotta say that slower—Wilberforce comes to get counsel from John Newton, and uh, They showed John in the chapel with a mop and a bucket, mopping a stone floor. And I thought, nothing has ever changed for (laughs) pastors. So that really spoke to this preacher. Um, So that was just me personally. You might have saw that and thought, well, he's mopping the floor. But it, it hit me in a different way. But at that time, he said to Wilberforce, this I know. And this is just a line from the movie, but it's a great line. This I know, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. And that's true for all of us. This I know, I am a great sinner, Christ is a great Savior. Is Jesus calling you to leave your former ways to follow him? That's what he was asking Matthew to do. And that's what he asked John Newton to do. And sometimes there's a transition, and you just don't immediately Uh, for John Newton jump ship and all of a sudden become a preacher. There's a transition to get you there. But Jesus, is he calling you to leave your former ways to follow him? So that night they were dining in Levi's house. Levi had a party. He invited his friends. Who was his friends? Tax collectors and sinners, of course. That's who he hung out with because the Jews had nothing to do with him. And so... The scribes, the Pharisees, again, saw Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Here at this point, we've only, Mark has only named five of Jesus' disciples for us. But here we learn in this text that there were many who followed him. Mark 2.15, many followed Jesus at this point. And on the guest list at Levi's house was tax collectors and sinners. He wanted to introduce his friends to Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they they believed that those who were untaught in the law, that they were simply sinners. Tax collectors were hated because of, I've already explained that, they were seen as traitors collecting revenue for the, government that ruled over the Roman government that ruled over Israel at that time. But there was also something else at play here. In their culture, what they believe, not what the Word of God teaches, what what they believe, their customs, their traditions, they believe if you ate with someone, it was considered of an expression of trust, of fellowship. It was a form of communion. The food that was being assimilated into your body was also being assimilated in someone else's body. And you only strived if you were Jewish to eat with those who were like-minded. And so the scribes and Pharisees looking down on the tax collectors, the sinners, Jesus communed with them in hopes that they would believe in him and be saved. And thankfully there were many who followed, many who believed. Matthew 21, Jesus would tell the religious rulers, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots are entering the kingdom of God before you. Sometimes in the religious life, we get it all backwards. And God can do a great work in those whom we would not believe that he could do a work. But we're all the same. We all have a hungry heart, a hungry souls that seek to be satisfied and oftentimes in this world they're looking to satisfy the the desires of their hearts through the ways of the world and they all they discover is that the things in this life will never satisfy only christ can satisfy so when jesus heard it in verse 17 he said those who are well have no need of a physician so jesus really turning the tables on the scribes and the Pharisees, they were not well. They needed the physician Jesus Christ to touch their hearts, but they felt as if they did not. But Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And how can you call sinners to repentance if you don't expose yourself in the sense of revealing yourself, Christ ministering to them, with them, preaching to them, eating with them, communing with them. To this day, Jesus is calling sinners to repentance. He's calling those who are in distress, in debt, discontented. He desires to be the captain of our souls, and only those who willingly come to him will be saved, much like David and his 400 men. In 1 Samuel 22... 1 and 2. It tells us this is when David is not yet king, but he's been anointed as king. King Saul is still on the throne. King Saul is trying to put David to death. He was on the run for about 17 years. But during that time, the Bible tells us that David departed and escaped and came to the cave of Adullam, 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. So he and his brothers, when his father's house heard it, they went to him down there, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became the captain over them, and there were about 400 men. Everyone who was discontented, in debt, and in distress came to David, and he became captain over them. Don't you know that Jesus to this day wants to take those who are in distress, in debt, discontented in this life, and to become the captain of their salvation, as it tells us in Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom all things are made, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And to this day, Jesus is looking for those who are in distress, in debt, discontented, He wants to become the captain of your souls, the captain of your salvation. And great grace is still available to those who come to Jesus Christ in life-saving faith. In our next point, John's disciples now come, John the Baptist, his disciples come and ask why Jesus' disciples do not fast. That's their question. We're going to take it from Matthew's Gospel chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Once again, it's short. I'll read the context. Then the disciples of John came to him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will take away from that will be taken away from them and then they will fast no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse nor do people put new wine in the old wineskins or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into new wineskins both and both are preserved So now it's the disciples of John the Baptist. John is in prison. So this is kind of understandable. They might have been fasting for God to get John out of prison. And they're wondering why Jesus' disciples, they're not conducting themselves. And remember, Andrew and John, the author of the Gospel of John, were also disciples of John the Baptist. I would assume that they were accustomed to fasting when they were with John the Baptist, but while they've been hanging out with Jesus, following Jesus, they hadn't been doing any fasting. Now, all Jews had a national day of affliction. In fact, the Bible called it the afflicting of their souls. It was there on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 23:27, in the seventh month on the 10th day, there on the Day of Atonement, there were to be a holy convocation, an afflicting of our souls, and an offering made with fire. So they were all called to fast one day out of the year. The Pharisees, out of an act of piety, practiced fasting every Monday and Thursdays. I don't know why they chose those dates, but the rich young ruler, when he came to Jesus and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said in Luke 18, 12, I fast twice a week. And so he had that custom of fasting twice a week. And although it can be very difficult, fasting can be a very good spiritual discipline when you do it with the right heart attitude. It is a time of starving your flesh in order to feed the spirit. Jesus, uh, we're going to get to the uh, teaching of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 6, but we haven't gotten there yet because Luke hasn't got us there yet. We're kind of skipping over in Matthew until Luke gets us there, our chronological journey through the gospel, but he will talk about fasting in Mark 6 verses 16 through 18. He says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they might appear to men to be fasting. I, sure, I say to you, assuredly they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your father who is in the secret place, to your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So hip, hypocrites, uh, in the Greek, it, it means to put a mask on. And that's how they used to act, um, They would wear various masks. They would hold a mask over their face. And um, that is where we get the word hypocrite from. It means to be a stage actor, to put a mask on. And in Jesus' day, he was saying many of the Jews who fasted, they were merely masks. They were merely pretenders. They disfigured their faces. They wanted others to know what they were doing for God. And Jesus said, that's their reward. If that's what you want out of this fast, that other people know that you're fasting, then that's what you're going to get. But God isn't going to reward you for that. Pastor Chuck, the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, said, If you would feed the physical man like you feed the spiritual man, you'd probably be dead. Fasting can be good. It is a time of starving the flesh that we might feed the spirit. And the disciples of John could not understand why Jesus' disciples were not fasting, but Jesus explained it to them. In verse 15, he says, Can the friend of a bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast, according to the tumult. The only time a man was absolved from fasting was at a wedding feast. You don't, and We just came through a wedding feast last Saturday. And you know you don't want to show up to the wedding and have all the guests say, we're fasting, sorry, we're not going to eat the meal that you provided for us. Go ahead, have, have a great time. And then have the fasting people on the dance floor collapsing because they haven't eaten all day. And No, you want to celebrate. And Jesus said, I am the groom, the church is my bride, these are the friends of the bridegroom. They can't fast because I'm still here. They're, now was the time for celebration. Psalm 146, 5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So Jesus explained that right now is not the time for fasting. But when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. They would fast in the future. But Jesus had not been crucified yet. He had not been taken away at this point. Then he goes on to explain about a nude work. And he uses the uh, two different things. Uh, Patching a garment with unshrunk cloth or new garment. So patching an old garment with a new garment or a new piece of cloth. And then putting new wine in an old wineskin. And Jesus likened to the new work that he was doing as a new patch or a new wineskin. They didn't fit the old. They didn't fit in the old system. The church of Jesus Christ did not fit in the old system of Judaism because it was going to be a fresh work of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. So the uncle, Shrunk cloth, the new wine, uh, really speaking, teaching the same truth. Uh, When I was a boy, my mom used to patch my jeans because I would get holes. I still get holes in my jeans, but I just get new ones usually. Um, Not as much as I used to when I was a brick mason often. I'd wear those things out. But... If you patch it with a new garment and you have an old garment, that new garment will shrink when it's washed and it will begin to tear, begin to pull away. That's all Jesus is saying here. It will tear away. It will make the tear worse. So if you're going to patch, use an old garment to patch an old garment. And you don't need to patch a new garment unless it's 2022. And I'm thinking... All right, kids, this is what you want to do. Right now, holes in pants are very cool. You buy them that way. I'm saying rip the holes in your pants, put patches on them, and begin wearing them, and you'll start a whole new fad, make millions of dollars, and in a few years, everyone will have holy jeans with patches on them, and that will be the next cool thing. Just telling you, <laughs> could happen that way. because I get holes in my pants and I throw them away, but that's a different generation. (laughs) The new wine, now, the leather, when it's new, is pliable. And the, the fermentation process of wine, of grapes becoming wine, becoming alcohol, that it expands. And if the leather is not pliable, the old wine skin no longer pliable, it will expand and it will just explode. If you want to test it, put a can of soda in your freezer. Pastor John told me to, Mom. It will expand, it will explode. Don't do that, but similar idea. But if it's put in a new wine skin, it's still pliable. The wine uh, going through that process. Expanding the gas is beginning to work, it will be pliable enough to handle it that both are preserved. So a piece of cloth, a new wineskin, we're representing a new way of salvation that God introduced through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The old cloth, the old wineskin, representing that of the old uh, Judaism, God was doing a new work. He even prophesied of the new work in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 43:18 and 19, he said, Do not remember the former things, nor the consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, God said, I'm going to do a new thing. Don't remember the old. In Luke 22, 20, Jesus said at the communion table with his disciples, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Throughout church history, whenever God wanted to do a new work, a work of his spirit within the church, often he would raise up a new work. He would often have to go outside of the church. We get stuck in our traditions. We get stuck in our way. And sometimes God has to do a new work. He has to go outside Of the norms that we would consider the founder of the calvary chapel movement i already mentioned pastor chuck smith he was known for saying blessed are the flexible for they will not be easily broken we need to be able to be flexible but talking about the movement talking to his church about the early days of the calvary chapel movement this is what chuck had to say we don't know what adaptations that might be necessary to reach a new generations have we not been flexible and willing to let love song and other groups come into the church love song was the first uh, contemporary christian music group that chuck allowed on a thursday night into the fellowship to do worship it may have been a monday night at that time i think it was he said have we not been had we not been flexible he said have but had sounds better flexible and willing for love song and other groups coming to the church it was not traditional we took a lot of flack for it but god was wanting to move in a non-traditional way and he did move but now let us not make a tradition out of how he moved in times past you see it's obvious you're not all hippies anymore and so now god worked how god worked among the hippies was great for that era let's stay open let's not get locked and freeze god freeze god out because we're set in rigid traditions let's draw near to him not just with our mouths but with our hearts an open heart always for the spirit of god to work and to move and so god we're desiring for the lord to move Two, if the Lord should tarry for the next generation of followers to be worshiping in this place. And we may have to look slightly different, but there's some principles that we still must stand upon. We must stand upon the inerrant truth of the word of God and the teaching of the word of God. But how we deliver the method could change. The type of music we play could change. It may be that the new wine of God's spirit would flow unhindered in our lives and in our church. So as I said, we should go to John chapter 5 right now. It's 47 verses long. We're going to take it in two weeks teachings. That's where we should be in the order of the chronological journey of the gospel. But here in Luke 6, so you can go over to Luke's gospel. Luke 6 verses 1 through 5. We get an explanation, but it's only in the Greek. And it's only in the Texas Receptus, which is the Greek translation that was used to translate the King James Bible. Do you find this one Greek word that kind of gives us a hint of what John was talking about in John chapter 5? We'll look at that next week, Lord willing. But here we find in in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the head of grain and ate them and rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered and said, have you not read this? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him how he went into the house of God and he took and ate the show and also gave some to those who were with him, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And then he said to them, the son of man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So verse one is key in helping us understand you don't get it in Matthew. You don't get it in Mark. That's why we're in the Gospel of Luke right now. It's key in helping us understand what feast day John is referring to in John chapter 5 when he says in John chapter 5 verse 1 after this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem now John doesn't tell us what the feast day was three times a year the Jewish men had to appear before God in the city of Jerusalem or wherever the tabernacle or temple at the time of Christ it was in Jerusalem And uh, John doesn't tell us the feast day, but Luke gives us this hint. It's written for you in the New King James in the phrase, the second Sabbath. And the Greek word literally means the second first. And it is a word that was associated with the first Sabbath after Passover. And so that's what the Greek word stands for. The second Sabbath, the first Sabbath after Passover from Luke's gospel, we understand that in John chapter five, when Jesus went up to the feast in Jerusalem, it was the feast then of Passover that he was going to. This actually causes us to enter into the second year of Jesus's uh, ministry. And so we've, we get to John chapter five, we're already here past it in Luke six. We are now technically in that second year of ministry, the year of popularity. It's growing. And here we learn, and that's why I inserted Luke after John, but because of our teaching today, I put Luke before John. But I want you to understand, John chapter 5 should go first. Just remember that. The second first, which means the second Sabbath after Passover. And so what they were doing they were counting down the sabbaths until Pentecost. Last Sunday was the day of Pentecost. So you count down those seven sabbaths and this is the second one after Passover that countdown toward Pentecost. So Jesus would have celebrated his second Passover as found in John chapter 5 verse 1, the second sabbath after the first. And they were to count seven weeks according to Deuteronomy 16 9 through ten, seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle into the grain, you shall keep the feast of weeks with the Lord your God, a tribute of the free will offering from your hands, which shall be given to the Lord. The day of Pentecost was the day when Israel would come to offer first fruit offerings to the Lord. In the church, it was the day the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church. So while they're going through the fields, it's a Sabbath day again, and we're going to find that the Pharisees, here only the Pharisees mentioned, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious rulers, often contending with Jesus about his breaking, and now his disciples breaking their Sabbath day traditions. So they asked, why is it that your disciples are breaking the Sabbath, doing what is unlawful to do? Now, according to Jewish law, it wasn't wrong for them to pick the heads of grain in a standing grain field. So when my papa said he got the corn from a neighbor farmer, I guess it wasn't wrong for it. Yes, it was. He was stealing the corn. We know today that my papa was stealing corn for his chickens, and I was participating in um, rubbing them off to get the grain but I was only seven years old, so I didn't know what I was doing. But I understand now that Papa didn't borrow that corn, he stole it. What they could do when they were walking through a grain field was to pluck the heads of gra- grain. Deuteronomy 23 25. You come to your neighbor standing grain, you may pluck the heads of, with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle. You can't harvest it. My Papa was harvesting. But if you're hungry, you can snack on it. And so he could have went, and it's like, I'm I'm hungry. I need a piece of corn. That's okay. I would be careful. You eat corn today. You might be eating corn that's been developed for making gasoline and not eating food. So you want to be careful, especially here in Illinois. Field corn is not meant for eating. So you don't want to do that today. You never know what you're getting in your cornfields today. They might be genetically modified for some other purpose, than food, but it was totally legal for them to walk through a field and have a snack. That wasn't the issue with the Pharisees. The issue was in order for them to get the snack, they had to take and break it, and then they had to blow the shaft away, and it was pretty much like chewing gum. They would just chew on what was on the inside, and so they were saying that they were harvesting and they were threshing the wheat and willowing the wheat. That was their complaint. God had given the Sabbath day law, but the Jews had so taken what God had said and put so many traditions around it that they turned it into actually a day of bondage. The Sabbath was... In the Ten Commandments, it's the fourth commandment. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall do no work. So they were condemning his disciples for working on the Sabbath, for harvesting, for uh, threshing the grain just by breaking it up in their hand and willowing the grain, meaning to blow away the shaft that they were doing work on the sabbath and there wasn't a lot of scripture that talked about the sabbath day we've been going over a few of them in the book of exodus on wednesday nights so they added to the word of god were their traditions and they ended up bringing the people into bondage if you go to israel today in certain cities and maybe in all cities but on the sabbath day you'll find uh, telephone poles surrounding a city and they're telephone poles but they're not meant for telephone wires or electric wires they do have a wire around the city and what that the pole and wires are is the sabbath day journey and so anyone in the city knows that they sit step beyond the bounds of that wire they have journeyed further than a sabbath day journey and they're breaking the law so for the orthodox jews even to this day They have boundaries set up saying we can travel this far but no further on the Sabbath day. They turned it into a day of bondage. They turned it into what God never intended it to be. So Jesus takes them to this account with David. He's on the run. He has a few of his men. King Saul tried to kill him again. He left Israel without any weapons, any food, and he ended up in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, to Ahimelech, the priest. And he said, we're hungry. And he said, I have no food here. All I have is the showbread that was before the tabernacle of the Lord. So he had changed out the showbread. So I'm taking you back to the Old Testament. In the holy place of the tabernacle, as you entered into the holy place, there was a table that had twelve loaves of bread that was replaced every single week. And the twelve loaves representing each of the twelve tribes of Israel, and only the priests in the holy place, um, in the temple grounds or the tabernacle area, could eat that bread. It wasn't meant for anyone else. So they had seven-day-old bread that was available. And the priest gave it to David and his men, and they ate of it. Leviticus 24:9 says, "It shall be for Aaron and his sons; they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy to him, from the offering of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statute." So it was only meant for the priest and his sons. Yet David ate that bread. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was of not the priestly line. He was of the tribe of Judah, but David ate of that bread. In a sense, Jesus was saying that sometimes, and this is, I'm not saying that we should break God's commandments, but sometimes there could be occasions where things are permissible. It was permissible for David. Jesus presented it as an example. David and his men did that which was not lawful to do, to eat of that showbread. So sometimes human needs can supersede the letter of the law when it's used in the right intention. Matthew 2.27, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. They had turned it into a day of bondage instead of a day of worship. They turned it into a day of traditions and obligations and burdens instead of a day of refreshing and worship. And time spent with the Lord. And may it may be that the Lord of the Sabbath would invade our hearts with the true intent of God's law. So, here in lesson 18, questions about Jesus and his disciples. Jesus calls Matthew to be one of his disciples, and Matthew has this huge party that night. He invites his friends. His friends, they're tax collectors from the religious leader's perspective they're sinners. And they questioned Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responded in saying, the well have no need for a physician, but I have come that the sick might be healed, that the lost might be saved. And so it should be that There is great grace available to this day for those who would come to Jesus Christ in life-saving faith. Jesus Christ still is available to bring healing to those who are in need of His touch. Also, we have Jesus, John's disciples, asking about why Jesus' disciples did not fast. And Jesus began to teach about a new work that He was doing. That new work, that new wine of God's Spirit flowing unhindered into our lives, into our church, that is what we should desire. And Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, there will be a lot of Sabbath day contention with Jesus and the religious rulers. This is just the beginning of it. But it may be that the Lord of the Sabbath to this day would continue to invade our hearts with the true intent of God's Word In our lives, let's go ahead and stand together. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us this day. An opportunity, Lord, to just learn of your great love. How, Lord, you came and called Matthew, who was despised among his whole nation. Only tax collectors and sinners were friends with Matthew. Lord, it did not prevent you from coming to Matthew and calling him to be one of your disciples. Matthew would not remain a tax collector. Matthew would become a follower of yours. And Lord, you would bless us through his ministry by giving us the gospel of Matthew that we have in our Bibles today. So we thank you, Lord, that you to this day are willing to call those whom, from our perspective, we might think there's no way that individual, that man, that woman could ever be saved. And Jesus said, yeah, they can be. Just let me get in their hearts. Today, Lord, maybe we feel like one of those individuals where we might be thinking, Lord, there's no way that you could touch my heart. There's no way that you could save my soul. And yet, today, Lord, you might be calling an individual or two. Maybe they're watching online, maybe they're listening on the radio, but you are calling them and you are saying, like you said to Matthew, follow me. I pray, Lord, that if you are calling the hearts of individuals here today to follow you, that they would respond to that call this day. And I pray, Father, our Savior Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, please invade our hearts as individuals. Invade this church that we might be witnesses for you in this the last days that we find ourselves in. We pray in the precious name of our Savior Jesus. We give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for your great grace. Change us, Lord. Work in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.